And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, and today we are going to talk with David Iglesias. David is the director of the Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics. He is also an associate professor of politics and law at Wheaton College. Previously, Mr. Iglesias has served as a state, federal, and military prosecutor with a focus on national security and terrorism cases. Uh, He was the United States Attorney for the District of New Mexico for six years, and while serving as U.S. Attorney, he chaired the Attorney General's Border and Immigration Subcommittee. Also, as a Navy officer, he served as a senior prosecutor with the U.S. Military Commission in Washington, D.C. and Guantanamo Bay, uh, handling war crimes and terrorism cases. Um, I'm Rich Baker, and I'm a partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago, and we are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration to religious freedom. And you can find out more about us by going to malkinbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call us at 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith and law. But today, we are particularly going to look at a very difficult and important question, the question of immigration. And we'll actually be doing a series of two shows, the first one on uh, visas and refugees, and the second one on the wall that uh, President Trump has promised to build. So, David, beginning with your extensive background, uh, I understand you were also born in Panama. So with your um, dealing with immigration, we want to start with a very, very important question. And mm-hmm. what would you say is, as a Christian, what was, what, how should we view immigration, uh, beginning with the biblical text? Well, uh, Scripture is clear that we're to welcome the stranger. And the, the term stranger it would be roughly analogous to the foreigner. <coughs> Excuse me. So, if you look at Scripture, it, it's clear that God's people are, are to welcome um, foreigners living amongst us. Now, we have a bit of a difference in that in Old Testament times, there wasn't the massive immigration that you're seeing now. Uh, but I think the principle still holds true, that we, sh- we should not be uh, spiteful or unwelcoming to people coming in to this country. What makes America different is we, we are the preeminent immigrant country in the world. Um, I mean, virtually all of us in this country uh, have ancestry from other, other parts of the world, uh, myself included. Um, so I think the principle to keep in mind is Christians need to follow Scripture and be welcoming to foreigners that live amongst us. When you say that, then we obviously get into the very difficult policy of what does it mean to be welcoming? It's almost like the uh, lawyer asking Jesus, what does it mean to uh, be a neighbor? So starting out with um, the current events uh, and President Trump's move, and we'll look particularly at uh, visas and refugees first, 
What would you say it means to be welcoming? And is the policy that is being promoted uh, actually one that is welcoming? Yeah, uh, all, all really good questions. Uh, there, there has been some really interesting litigation from the District of Arizona. In the 1980s, there was a sanctuary movement amongst Christians there, um, I think primarily Catholic Christians, um, and welcoming to them and setting up food and water stations near the border because there was a high number of immigrants who were crossing illegally and were dying, dying in the desert because they... You can't physically carry enough water to make it the many miles you need. And the courts found that that was okay, that that was not in violation of the law. But where some of the Christians crossed the line is when they started giving rides to the immigrants, the illegal immigrants, uh, and taking them to get jobs. That's when the courts would say that is in violation of the law. Um, and, you know, Romans 13 is, is a great chapter, and that starts off talking about that all authorities are placed by God, and we need to be obedient to those, to those authorities. So I think a Christian can be welcoming biblically and still be legal and obey uh, the authorities God has placed over us. So in my mind's eye, welcoming means food and water, encouragement, prayer, uh, but there is a line that you can cross that would get you in trouble with the civil authorities that God has placed over us, and that would be transporting, finding jobs, things of that nature. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Malkin Baker. Today we're speaking with David Inglesius, director of the Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics, about um, immigration orders, particularly looking at uh, President Trump's current immigration orders, and we will be looking at the border wall. David, I want to go on with that question. Now, you served extensively with the U.S. government, and you were facing these kind of issues on a regular basis, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. Tell me a little bit about your experience and the view uh, from the government side in terms of trying to protect the people and trying to enforce the laws. Uh, how, how do you look at it, and how might that differ a little bit from the way um, we sitting here in Illinois might look at it? Right, right. So what you have to keep in mind is I have a law and order background. So my job as United States attorney on the southwest border state was to enforce federal law. And the law is clear. Uh, in order to come into the United States, you need to go through a port of entry. So that would be a an entry point that the uh, customs people are running. Uh, there's a visual inspection. There are questions asked. You, you have to have permission to come visit. Um so where you have problems is with people who are coming across the, des- the desert at an undesignated point, and that's called entry without inspection. That is probably the most violated federal law uh, currently in existence. You're getting thousands of people that, you know, don't go through a port of entry and do get caught. So my job was, it was to prosecute people who were doing that. And... Uh, I was responsible for over 11,000 prosecutions at the federal level. About 70% of those, 70 70% of those were immigration-related offenses. So my job was to make sure that these people who would come over, and, and let me be honest with you, we wouldn't prosecute after a first offense because, there were, that, because the numbers are too large. We would allow them to voluntarily return, so we would send them back home. 
But if they would come back multiple times, we would then prosecute them or refer them over for deportation. Uh, so my, my job was to enforce federal law. And as a son of an immigrant who came legally through Ellis Island, I felt like I, I needed to encourage legal immigration but punish illegal immigration. Well, David, let me pick up on that, because there's you were involved in this, I believe, between 2000 and 2007 as U.S. attorney. Um, and then, obviously, you were involved also in, in the trial for uh, terrorism and other crimes taking place when you were back with the U.S. Navy. Um, give me some perspective between then and now. What, um, we had the Bush administration, which you were involved in. Then we had uh, the... Obama administration, and now we have the Trump administration. The The balance seems to be swinging. How do you view this? Is this good or bad? Sure. sure. So, you know, you, you have to know the history. You have to know context in order to figure out uh, the extent of, of the problem. Uh, I would encourage viewers to go on the uh, U.S. Border Patrol website and then look at the charts, look at the graphs they have. So the numbers go back, oh, I don't know, to the 1960s or 70s. And you'll see a very small number of people who are interdicted. And then you'll see a massive spike right around the, the year 2000 in which one million illegal immigrants were actually caught. And no one knows the number of those who were not caught, but it was a large number. And then see where we are now in 2017 and draw a line across that chart. And you'll see that our numbers have dropped to 1970s era levels. Our current problem is about what it was during the Nixon administration. So, yes, we had a horrible problem about the year 2000, 2001. About the time I became U.S. attorney, the numbers are significantly less now. So if there was a good argument to be made about a border wall, that would have been strongest around the year 2000. In my mind's eye, one of the many things I learned in Washington was don't come up with a solution that is worse than the problem. Uh, and I think that's a good uh, public policy uh, principle to keep in mind. David, when you say that, then, uh, speaking directly about uh, continuing to build the border wall, I'm hearing you say that you don't think that's really the solution to this problem. Right. I think it would have been a better solution 17 years ago when we had a million people that we were catching. Uh, our numbers have dropped, I want to say, 60%. I mean, it's a significant drop down. Uh, right now we have about 650 miles of barriers and walls, and I've walked some of that wall. Uh, I've walked along some of the uh, wall in San Diego. I've walked around some of the fencing in New Mexico and Texas. I've flown over about 140 miles of border uh, from Texas to Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, so I, I've actually been on the border. Uh, I've gone to checkpoints. I've talked to Border Patrol and Customs uh, agents. So I've got a pretty good uh, idea of the extent of the problem. In my mind, the problem is diminishing, in large part because Presidents Bush and Obama put 12,000 more, board, I'm sorry, 6,000 more Border Patrol agents uh, on the border. We've added sensors. Uh, there's a significant presence on the southwest border right now in the way that there wasn't 20 years ago. David, we'll pick up on this after the break. Coming up, we will be talking again and further about uh, Trump's immigration orders, about the wall. I'm Rich Baker of Malkin Baker, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. 
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with David Iglesias, a former state, federal, and military prosecutor with regard to President Trump's immigration orders, refugees, and the whole question of the wall. David, uh, before the hard break, we uh, were talking about uh, the wall, but I want to bring you back and look at um, two questions. One, what is your view on an open border? And then also with regard to the orders that are now being uh, given with regard to restricted uh, immigration, I'd like your views. But let's start with an open border. What's your view on that? Well, first, let me just ask you a question, Rich. Uh, yes. Tell me what you mean by, by the term open border, and I'm happy to answer that question. Well, here's what I'm hearing quite often in the Christian circles that I travel in. I'm hearing about how God loves all people, and we are to be welcoming to strangers. I'm hearing about how Jesus was once a refugee, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then hearing that we really should have almost no policy with regard to accepting uh, immigrants in here because there's such a need and we have such a resources here in the United States. So how do you view that? So, um, you know, we're, we're also a nation of laws, and every country in the United States included has a right to set immigration policy and to set standards. So um, I think that the term open border, if it means loosening the border to allow virtually anybody for any reason, uh, I think that's a bad policy. Uh, I, I think you need to have standards. Um, I, I think uh, we, we're living in an age where there's significantly more risk in immigrants coming over unchecked than there was even 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and, you know, look at some of uh, our, our enemies, like ISIS and al-Qaeda. Uh, ISIS in particular have stated that they want to plant uh, their operatives within uh, immigrants. So, you know, I, I, I view the top priority of government as safety of the people. So uh, I, I would be opposed to uh, open borders if that means virtually no checks, no background checks. I think that's a terrible policy. I think we're only inviting problems if we do that. You know, one of my concerns with regard to that is not only the uh, security issues that are involved, but also the workforce in the United States, if we have completely open borders. Uh, do you have a view on that? Well, I mean, I, I think we need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, the, the replacement rates of native-born Americans uh, isn't enough to support our uh, Social Security plans and our, our other entitlements that we have set up. The, the only place to look to is immigration. So we need to encourage lawful immigration, but I think we need to set standards so we're bringing in people who can contribute uh, like prior generations have. Um, well, then let me ask you this. All right, so we need to sure. set standards, and that brings us right to the question of what uh, President Trump and his administration are trying to do uh, mm-hmm. with regard to particular national security. So. How do you right. view what he's doing and the standard, standards he's setting? I, I mean, I think the idea is, is a sound idea. We, we, uh, we look to countries that have a history of terrorism, and, and we uh, submit those immigrants and those refugees to more scrutiny. But I think, you know, in fairness, you need to also add countries that have had a track record of having their citizens hurting and killing U.S. citizens. So I think you need to add uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, remember, virtually all of the hijackers on 9-11 were Saudi nationals. So, yeah, the seven countries that were originally on the order, 
these are countries that are, have experienced significant chaos. Their countries cannot necessarily do background investigations because the countries are in bad shape. Um, so I think the idea is sound. Going, going back to my original comment, Rich, which was government's first duty is to protect its people, uh, I, I, I support that idea. But I, I do think you need to, uh, to look critically at other countries that do have a track record of having their citizens harming or killing U.S. citizens, and I think we need to submit them to extra scrutiny. Well, now that you raise that, uh, the only country you added on there, and I'm sure it's not your exclusive list, but was Saudi Arabia, another Muslim country, a main um, criticism of uh, President Trump's initiative is that it's um, religiously biased against Muslims. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we can think of countries like North Korea, uh, <clears throat> Venezuela, other countries that, that have uh, significant, uh, Cuba, other countries that have significant differences with, mm-hmm. with the United States. How, how would you answer that with regard to religious bias? <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, you, you have to look at the countries that, irrespective of religion, what, what countries are, uh, are sending or what countries are allowing citizens to become involved in, uh, in terrorism? And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a ban that's typically North Africa and the Middle East. I mean, there are some exceptions. So there, there, there's, there's some Asian, uh, there's some other countries in Asia that, that do have that track record. And, and you, you, you look at numbers, you look at the data. Um, when, when you start using emotional terms like religion, um, I think that really clouds the issue because, you look at, and, and there are organizations that keep track of, of, uh, of terrorism, uh, terrorist organizations, and, and what countries contribute. And I, I think you need to focus on that and resist any criticism that this is based on religion. Um, you know, uh, so Saudi Arabia, yes. Some of the other Gulf states, yes. Pa- uh, Pakistan, yes. Um, I mean, these are these are countries that do have track records of having their citizens committing acts of terror, um, and you know the fact that they predominantly are Muslim is an inconvenient fact. It's an inconvenient uh, data point. You're listening to uh, Lawyers for Jesus Radio. <clears throat> I'm Rich Baker of Malkin Baker. If you're just tuning in, we're with David Iglesias discussing President Trump's recent immigration orders. David, let me follow up on that with regard to sure. you. You also have experience not only um, as attorney or as a uh, U.S. attorney, but you also were a prosecutor with regard to some of the terrorism uh, trials going on. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So, in the year two thousand and one, the Bush administration uh, revived the um, Office of Military Commissions. So. This is an uh, alternate court system comprised of military members, military judges, military jurors, prosecutors, and defense counsel to try foreign nationals. They, they had no jurisdiction over U.S. citizens, but to try foreign nationals for war crimes. Um, and there were, I think, 31 enumerated war crimes. So an example would be um, uh, perfidy which is uh, using the white flag of surrender illegally, so to lure people in and then kill those that are there to take your surrender. That, that's a classic war crime. Uh, intentionally targeting civilians in a war zone, that's a war crime. 
intentionally targeting a protected site, such as a church, a mosque, uh, a museum, that's a war crime. So uh, I, I did that work for six years, um, and virtually all of our defendants, our, our suspects, came from the Middle East and North Africa. I think we had one, let's see, we had one Australian, a guy named David Hicks, uh, who uh, converted to Islam, became radicalized, and uh, was captured on the battlefield. And then there was a young kid named Omar Cotter, who was a Canadian national. Uh, his parents were uh, Afghan refugees to, to uh, Canada. But uh, everyone else was typically from North Africa and the Middle East. Um, so, but they were the ones that were committing war crimes. I mean, it wasn't people from, you know, uh, Kansas or, or, or that. That's a bad example. Uh, it wasn't someone from Europe, for example, or, or um, Mexico or Central Africa. Right. Um, I have a, this is a difficult question. Are you familiar with a Miss uh, Hershey Ali or Ali? She, I don't think so. No. All right. Well, she has uh, some very strong views. She's um, uh, formerly a, a, a Muslim, and she really says that, that Islam is not just a religion, but it's also a political ideology. Uh, and she argues to do otherwise than realize this is, and just focus on terrorism is to ignore what she calls dawah, the ceaseless worldwide campaign waged by Islamicists uh, as a complement to jihad with a goal to impose Sharia law on all societies. Do you see a political element to a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about terrorism? Well, there is, but I would submit that that's the fringe. So that that's the 1% of of uh, radicalized uh, Muslims who um, want to militarily impose not only a religious worldview, but a political worldview. But the mainstream Muslim wouldn't buy that. Um, so I, uh, I view that as a, as a crackpot fringe. But here's a problem, which is they're getting money, typically from, from Saudi financiers, uh, and they're training and they're killing people, not, not just in the United States, but, in, but especially in Europe. Well, David, we are uh, running out of time here. Uh, there is so much more to continue with regard to this conversation. Um, one of the things that, uh, and we will do so in the next segment of this show, one of the things I wanted you to do is uh, give you a little opportunity to, to just mention uh, what you're doing with Wheaton College Center for Faith, Politics, and Economics and tell people how they can get uh, in touch with what your, organ, uh, what your programs are. Oh, thanks. Thanks. So, yes, so uh, go on our website, which is wheaton.fte.org, O-R-G, and you can see what we're doing. We're, we're a center that uh, studies the intersection of faith, politics, and economics. Um, we're founded under the very simple belief that politicians don't know economics and economists don't know politics, because legislation affects economics uh, directly. So when a law is passed, it can cost trillions of dollars. Where's that money coming from? David, I'm going to have to cut you off. We'll be back shortly. Uh, we appreciate you calling in today. Uh, if you have any legal needs or questions and want a perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact Malkin Baker uh, at 312-726-1243. Uh, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. And thank you for being with us. Somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.